0: The GIST is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy and print official US postage right from your desk using your own computer and printer. Right now, get a no-risk trial and a $110 bonus offer by going to stamps.com and using the promo code THE GIST. <laughs>
1: It's Wednesday, August twelfth, two thousand fifteen. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca, still in Chicago, just mind reeling at the the new alphabet. The Google, Google is the alphabet, and I read the letter from Larry and Sergey. I love how uh, it has this sentence for Sergey and me. This is, I just want to. By the way, in my everyday life, ask me anything, I just want to start every sentence with, well, you know, for Sergey and me, I just think that gives it an extra zhuzh, an extra amount of aplomb. You know, you could get in the cab and he could say, should I take the drive or go through the park? And you could say, well, Sergey and me, we always like to take the park. Or Mike, who are you voting for? I don't know, you know, Sergey and me, we like a lot of the things that Bernie Sanders has to say, but this Trump, he's got style. Anyway, here's the sentence. For Sergey and me, this is a very exciting new time in the life of Google, the birth of alphabet. We like the name alphabet because it means a collection of letters that represent language. One of humanity's most important innovations. Now, he didn't rank it first because there's still room for Google or Alphabet to be a little above the alphabet, the old alphabet, the letters all in a row. Yeah, that's going to move down to the second most important alphabet. And also, I can see them liking the name Alphabet as a collection because it means a collection of letters. Thanks for the definition, Larry and Sergey and me. Uh, we like it because it means a collection of letters. In fact, we couldn't even express that we like it because it means a collection of letters were it not for the alphabet, which is a collection. Now, the thing about alphabet, of all the words in the world, and the alphabet's an amazing thing, letters are an amazing thing, nothing, maybe a fly, the animal, the fly, is as poorly named... But man, is the alphabet poorly named. It just comes from the first two letters, alpha and beta. I mean, this would be like if numbers were named the one twos, right? Or if instead of the presidents of the United States, we have our George Johns, George. well, Oh, couldn't they also be the Beatles? No, actually, that would be the John Pauls. Wait, couldn't those guys be the saints? Couldn't we call saints the John Pauls? No, they'd have to be the Peter Linuses. And instead of Super Bowl winners, we'd have the Packer Packers. So alphabet, You could do better. Sergey and Larry, yeah, you're going to make another $14 trillion. On the show today, Matthew Dix uses the alphabet and all the letters therein to compose thoughts and words and tell us how he comes up with his ideas. He'll give you a tip that you won't follow, but if you did, you'd be a better person for it. And in the spiel, I will talk about Fry. But first, here's that interesting guy, Matthew Dix. Listen up. So one thing that gets me about storytelling, I like to tell stories. And when I'm in the moment, I'll certainly give it my all and embellish and uh, maybe even uh, make a joke or two or an aside. But I just find there's a difference between telling a story and storytelling. Storytelling has become a thing. You want to call that thing in our form? Fine. You want to call that thing what they're doing at a wine bar above a uh, rehearsal space? That's probably more accurate. So what makes storytelling, this thing of storytelling, storytelling, daunting for me is that I don't know that I have a, quote, story to tell. If something naturally comes up, I'll tell whatever story is best I can. But to say, now I have a story to tell. Now everyone stop and listen to my story that is worth having you hear it. Well, I mean, that's a hurdle for me. So here, helping me, coaching me over this hurdle is Matt Dix, who's a storyteller extraordinary. comes on our show. He, he's been coaching uh, a, a guy named Frank to tell a story. But now he's going to tell all of us. Not just the techniques, which he's been doing, but how to know that you have a story. Right, Matt? Yes. We're going to talk
0: about how to find stories in your life.
1: Okay. Now, I think that we could all think, oh, okay, that was the most interesting. That was the most coincidental. That was the craziest thing that happened to me. But after you get through the second or third craziest thing, for most average humans, you've run out of great fodder. Not for you. You've been arrested. A goat licked you when you were homeless. What am I missing? You almost died a bunch of times. I, I
0: actually died a bunch of times. You died a bunch of times. Yeah. But the important thing is none of those are the best stories. And those crazy coincidences that you have in life and those most fantastical stories, they're often not the best stories. huh. And so when I talk to people about finding stories in their life, I'm talking about finding things that are almost in there every day that they can bring great meaning to and connect to audiences or to people around the lunch table with.
1: Okay, so where to find these stories?
0: All right, so I do an exercise every day, and I tell people, I'm telling you, here's what I'm asking from you, Mike, five minutes a day, mm-hmm. which I've told a 1,000 people to do this, including a 100 people at my publisher today. And as far as I can tell, of the 1,000 people I've told, about 12 in the world have followed my advice. Okay. And it's I'll not be... because my advice is bad. It's because they suck. (laughs) (laughs) Well, also, you know, it's because I've been doing 12-minute abs. What, am I going to cut it
1: down to seven-minute abs? If I give you five-minute stories, fine. Seven-minute abs and five-minute stories. Tell me what I need to
0: do. All right. Um, So here's what I do. Every night, I sit down before I go to bed. I ask myself, if I had to tell a five-minute story about something that happened today, what would that story be? (laughs) And I track through my day, starting from beginning to end, and I find the moment in my day that has the greatest meaning. And then I write it down. And I write it down in an Excel spreadsheet in between five and 20 words, Mm -hmm. short. Not much commitment at all. Sometimes it takes me one minute to do this. And here's what happens. Over time, you start to refine your lens as a storyteller. And you start to see your life through story. And even if you're not a storyteller, I tell people this, whether they're doing storytelling with me or not, it will, I promise you, change your life. Because we live our lives, and if I asked you what you did last Thursday, you won't remember. And people tell me all the time, you hear all the time how life is passing you by. It goes by so fast. I can't believe how quickly that year went by. I'm here to tell you that life goes by for me very slowly. It is a step-by-step daily process because every night I sit down and I find something that made that day different than all the rest. And I record it. The act of recording it records the moment forever. It allows me to go back to that moment. And then as I do it every day, my lens for storytelling becomes more and more refined. And no longer do I have to tell stories about the time I died on the side of the road or the other time I died on the side of the road. Now I'm telling stories about little moments in my life that have great meaning to me, that I can connect to people And I can make people laugh and cry over the simplest things because they're having those same moments and they're just missing them. They're just going away.
1: Do themes emerge? Like you notice uh, every fifth day you're writing about some anxiety you have with one of your kids
0: and then you connect it and it becomes something bigger? Patterns, I think, is what I see. The best pattern I've ever noticed is last year as the summer was starting, my wife asked me to put in the air conditioners. And central air was a compromise that we made in our home that I've always regretted. And so she, sweet as pie, asks me from the other room, can you put in the air conditioners today? It's really hot. And I hate putting them in because every year they get heavier, which actually isn't the case. And it is a symbol of my mortality, which I have great issues with to begin with. So bringing them up is just a reminder that I'm getting older and closer to death. So I hate it. So I said, no, I'm not putting them in today. Like, it's too hot. And she said, (laughs) fine, no problem. Sweet as pie. And I sat there for 15 minutes and stewed. And my literally. wife, and, Yeah, literally. And my wife and I tell people all the time that we never fight, and we've never actually had, like, a verbal fight. But I'm sitting there stewing, mad as hell, and then I go and I grab the air conditioners, and I bring them up the stairs loudly and banging them around, and she says, like, what's going on in there? And I say, I'm putting in the air conditioners. And she goes, oh, wow, thanks, sweetest pie. And I have this, like, angry chore activity, and I write it down as the most... You know, the moment of the day that I would tell a story about, which isn't a great story. Yeah. But a month later, same thing happens with something else. She asks me to do something. I don't want to do it. I yell at her like, I don't want to do it. She has no problem with it at all. She doesn't care at all. I sit there for 15 minutes doing and then I angrily do the chores. So it turns out that I do fight with my wife. I fight with her by doing chores in loud and angry ways that she is not aware of. And that then becomes a story Mm -hmm. because I can tell that to people and they can connect because so many husbands tell me that they do the identical thing and they also didn't recognize it. So it's those patterns that emerge in my life that I start to recognize and things that I see that are important to me. But it it seems
1: like that has an idea for a story. Like you've given yourself an idea that gave you an idea, but you got to flesh it out. You got to have a beginning. You got to have, something has to happen besides you doing those angry
0: chores, right? Well, no, because I can take that angry chore moment as the end of my story mm-hmm. my realization that I truly do fight with my wife and so I take that as the end of my story I fight with my wife by angrily doing chores which is going to make an audience laugh if I craft it well enough. Mm-hmm. and then I just say what's the opposite of me fighting with my wife with angry chores and I reverse it that's going to be the start of my story so the start of my story is some la la you know, idealistic. I have the best relationship with my wife and we never fight. And, you know, I tell it syrupy and ironically, and I get the audience laughing and then I show them that moment of realization and so many heads nod because yes, I do the same thing. And my God, I've never noticed I did it. So the
1: five to 20 words should be about, give me the description again. It's the most important thing that happened to you, the most meaningful thing. What was your criteria for the, what are
0: writing there? The question I ask myself, because I'm a storyteller, is if I had to stand on a stage and yeah. tell a five-minute story about something that happened today, what would be the five-minute story I would tell? Like, what moment in the day would I be forced? To... Now, most days it doesn't work. Most yeah. days you don't get a story, and that's what happens, is people go 30 days without anything good for sort of the stage or for telling at Thanksgiving, and then they think it's a failure. And I tell them it's not. They haven't refined their lens and maybe they've gone 30 days without anything that's stage worthy, but the record that they're creating and the memories they're creating and that touchstone they have for each one of their days will change their lives. It will truly change their lives. I can see why this is therapeutic and whatever the mindfulness movement
1: means, it seems to wrap itself up in this, but I've always heard and I believe
0: the drama is conflict. Are you looking for that? Are you looking for dramatic moments in these stories? Well, when you get them, yeah. you know it right away. Uh, and you're happy, you know. Uh, I took my son on a whale watch two days ago, and he threw up into my mouth. (laughs) I knew that was my story. (laughs) I knew it instantly. But there are a lot of days when it's not that. There was the day I tried to... um, My daughter was... Coming out of the pool, the public pool, and I didn't know at six if I'm allowed to take her bathing suit off in the public. Like, is that still a thing I can do? So I asked her, can I take your bathing suit off and put your clothes on out here? And she said, Daddy, no, I can't let people see my belly button. (laughs) And I thought, like, that's probably going to be my moment from the day. Now, can I turn that into a five-minute story? actually, I probably could, you know, I could probably talk about my daughter as a baby and nakedness and maybe even, you know, myself naked and somehow wrap it around to that. It's not gonna be a good story, but it would be a story. But more importantly, I will remember where we were standing. I'll remember where the sun was. I'll remember that there were white clouds in the sky. And I will remember so many things about that moment that I will not have remembered a month from now if I didn't write it down.
1: When crazy things, you've you've settled into a more sedate lifestyle, but when crazy things were happening to you, you didn't have to do it because crazy things were happening to you. Or do you think if you were doing it back then when you were, you know, getting arrested or having the panhandle for a cab fare home or all that stuff, would the stories have been better if you'd written it down when crazy stuff was happening? Or was that stuff so crazy you didn't even have to?
0: I didn't have to write those things down, but I'd have more stories. Yeah. You know, in between sort of being arrested and being on trial, I'm sure there was 18 months of good stuff in there and some of it was lost that, you know, I certainly could be using. And a lot of the things I write down are not stories in themselves, but they end up anecdotes or bits of larger stories uh, that eventually get developed. You know, one of my favorite storytellers in the world, she's won three moth grand slams, which is extraordinary. The only woman to do it. Mm -hmm. And I asked her why she doesn't tell more stories. And she says, well, I only have four. (laughs) Now I have a sheet that has my potential list of stories. It currently stands at 266, which every person I ever speak to thinks is insane. And I tell them the same thing. If you did the exercise that I did, it wouldn't be insane. The other beautiful thing that will happen is if you actually do this, your past memories will float to the surface very quickly. So you do something with your child and suddenly you remember the moment when you were a child and this similar thing happened. And again, if you don't record it, you know, I know about your list. If you yeah. don't get it down, what I'm thinking of. it's yeah. lost forever. Yeah, And Same if you do thing. get it
1: down, it's more likely that you'll make connections off of it. You I've know. Got, I have the gist list every day or every time I think of an idea. The other day I was at the beach, my girlfriend said to me, are you bored? I'm like, no, because if I think of something, I write it down on the gist list and it could become fodder for the show.
0: But if you didn't write it down, yeah. it's yeah. lost forever. Yeah. And Same if you do thing. get it
1: down, it's more likely that you'll make connections off of it.
0: Right. Yeah. 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 And if you're really deep, you can think that, wouldn't it be great if my mother had done this? Yeah. You know, my mom has passed away and the memories you have of a parent you know, years after they've passed, become fleeting. If I had had a list like this where my mother just wrote one important thing down every day for her life, that'd be the most treasured thing I have. So I'm creating something that I hope my children also will someday say, let's go read daddy's Excel spreadsheet and see what he was doing on this day. And And what
1: I like about it is it's not a diary. It's not like things that, a, a touching moment. It's not treacly. Because it's a story, it's meant to be other oriented you have to be interesting to other people and that i think is useful
0: yes it's never sort of something deeply introspective that would only serve me it's yeah. always going to be of service to the world let's say by revealing something about me to the world and the way i limit myself is i take my computer i stretch the a column of exp- of excel yeah. three quarters of the way across and that is my limit so there is not a lot uh, of room to fit anything in and I do believe that people who start writing down longer things every day, that's when it fails. Yeah. You know, a little bit. And then you go back and, you know, you look at it and eventually start to see things that will really work as stories. Matthew Dix, he is an interesting fellow,
1: also a wise fellow, I think. And he runs a storytelling competition and is a, what are you, up to 17-time Moth Story Champion?
0: I'm actually up to 20 now.
1: 20 times he's won that old Moth thing. Thank you very much there, Matt. Thanks, Mike. Oh, the post office, there has got to be a better way. Going there takes up so much time. And leasing a postage meter is about as much fun. You know, my go-to analogy is spending time at the post office, but I already degraded and denigrated that. It's just not fun. Post office, postage meter, bad. Stamps.com, good. That's the better way. With Stamps.com, you could buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter and package. Where? Right from your desk. Using your own computer and printer, because you're at your desk and your computer, your printer, they're there. You get special postage discounts that you can't find at the post office. Plus, Stamps.com is more powerful than a postage meter, just a fraction of the cost. You can save at least 50% compared to a postage meter, and you will avoid all those trips to the post office. We have a special promo offer. You go to Stamps.com and you type in the gist. It gives you a four-week trial, $110 bonus offer. They give you a free digital scale and up to $55 in free postage. Don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the gist. That's Stamps.com and enter the gist. And now the spiel, giving voice to the voiceless. They wish, I don't fry. Why? Because I'm a guy? Oh my, do guys ever fry? Welcome to the show.
0: I am bad at planning In advance.
1: juice box. Where I met the guy who was close friends with him in Milwaukee. I grew up outside of Chicago. A separate ground in which you may want to intervene.
0: Man, sometimes I really drop the ball. What has been going on with Reddit. Getting the heavy bags, doing the sit-up.
1: You might actually even frame this as helping the garage owner to avoid liability.
0: This is not something that I have
1: a specific tweet for. For the next five weeks. And the question I think you're wondering is... Why? That was Slate Culture Gabfest producer Ann Hepperman's compilation of basically one studio and one afternoon of male voices frying, or sometimes it's called creaking, doing that thing you heard. I can't even really do it. I don't. I don't sound. That's not what it sounds like. I can't really even do the fry. But this doesn't mean that my laryngeal emanations have never been cause for comment. I talk into people's ears for a living, and some of those ears will inevitably be connected to brains that don't like the sounds of what they're hearing, and pretty often those brains are attached to fingertips who know how to email, here's an iTunes review from Boston Nancy. I like editorial, I like current events, I like almost every Slate podcast offering. I want to like Mike Pesca too. He seems like a decent guy who's smart, astute, creative, hardworking, all of it. Thing is, his voice is a little too loud, a little too eager, a little of exactly what I don't want to hear on my commute. Alright, so someone doesn't like how I sound, the way I talk. Who cares? This happens all the time, right? Actually, apparently, it doesn't happen all the time. Maybe I'm the only man who has ever received a voice-based critique. Here's Terry Gross reading out an email auto-reply of the podcast 99% Invisible. They send this to anyone who writes in to complain about female voices. Hello. You've written in to voice your dislike of one of our female reporter's voices. You're not alone. We have a filter set up that automatically sends these types of emails into a folder labeled Zero Priority. (laughs) We'll review this folder and consider the complaints within, well, never. Amazingly, we don't even have a folder for our complaints about the male voices on our show because we've never gotten one. Isn't that strange? We think so. Anyway, hope you can continue to enjoy our free podcast somehow. And if you can't, there are plenty of shows that don't feature women's voices at all. (laughs) Huh? Well, let me quote from Twitter user at Pops tart. Worst things on NPR are one, Zoe Chase's voice, two, Mike Pesca's voice. All right, I'll take it. That's good company. And yet we still hear that. I guess I just object to the idea that young women are the only people who, when they are projecting who they are and where they're from with their voices, are the ones that are criticized for it. Because I'm sure a young man who grew up upper middle class in the suburbs has his own vocal tics. And why aren't those as annoying or why aren't those as bad or why, you, you know, it's, it's a sense of, of judgment and critique that is attached to those upper middle class white suburban traits only when you're talking about a woman. You never see the sort of parallel young man getting made fun of in quite the same way or getting critiqued in quite the same way. Again, that was from the same episode of Fresh Air where they talked about vocal fry and the female voice, and that episode inspired an email to me from an avowed fan who thought he should let me know, quote, Mike Pesca has a voice fit for magazines with a jowly, cracker-infused lateral lisp, a screeching emphasis, and a weirdly affected over-enunciation made intolerable whenever he eats, drinks, or sinks into the mic, which he seems in constant danger of accidentally swallowing. I happen not to have any semblance of a bilateral lisp. But let me quote from another Facebook user, Eileen Shields, Mike Pesca, your voice sounds just like you look, gravelly, rough, impish, and just a little bit off. Work on a smarter look. Impish? Alright, another Facebook guy, Mike Pesca filling in today, what an insult to this program and Peter Sagel. boo. Mike sounds like he'd be happiest hosting an AM radio sports call-in program, all shouting, all arguments all the time. And here's another iTunes review, because rhymes with fuzz. I guess I should read it like this, because rhymes with fuzz, not moss. One of those irritants I probably wouldn't notice or care about if everything else weren't so goddamn irritating. (laughs) And one last iTunes review I'll share with you, the voice. Since I've been hearing about so many people complaining about voices of female podcasters, I want to say your voice and cadence drives me crazy, and no, not in a good way. Hey, look, if that one gratuitous jab helps weaken the patriarchy, then I'll take it. But we still hear that. I keep thinking in the back of my head, this time,
0: this time a listener is going to write in and not, and is going to say something about just his voice. It so far has never happened.
1: I assure you, I could read many, many, many more critiques of my voice, dissatisfied listeners, helpful amateur linguists, but it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me at all. It's people's right to complain. Sometimes they even have a good point. Sometimes they have an entertainingly bad point. Mostly it's, you know, it's not a big deal. Even though I have literally fielded hundreds of complaints about my voice, I've never thought to change or alter my accent or cadence or enthusiasm. I have an accent. I say things differently than you think they should be said because I come from a different place than you or maybe because pronouncing isn't my strength. But I don't feel policed. I barely feel mall copped. So now you're thinking, all right, he's about to go all Dr. Laura. He's going to tell his... Coterie of creaky female broadcasters. Get over it, sister! But actually, I not only talk, talk this mangled, grotesque talk, but I listen. For instance, I listened to this interview with D. Randall Bly, the lead singer of metal band Lamb of God, and PR aired it on Sunday.
0: And all I knew is that I was a top news story in the Czech Republic, and the news wasn't good. Um, I was granted bail Three days after I was arrested.
1: I have to say, this is the most fried voice, male or female, I have ever heard. Now, if you listen to five seconds of the metal band Lamb of God, you understand how Bly's voice got that way. But still, you'd figure someone would comment. There are 107 comments on the story. Someone would say, I can't listen to this guy's voice. But no one did. And I do think if this were a woman, he'd get one or two of those comments. And I do think. The fact that I let the comments roll off me, whereas complaints about Fry seem to many female broadcasters as an act of policing, I don't think that's just perception. I don't think that's just perspective. Let's go back to that Terry Gross program. Here's what the speech pathologist on the program, Susan Sankin, said. When we present ourselves, the way we speak is our verbal image. And that's it. I don't care about the comments because my verbal image actually is having people think that I'm energetic or with little pretense. And if some New York seeps through, I'm from New York. Good. I've been making a living via these sounds for almost 20 years. If you don't like them, you're not alone, as I've demonstrated. And as a man who's gotten complaints, I'm sure I'm not alone, as I've demonstrated. But to my scratchy sisters, My creaky colleagues of the Distaff Persuasion, I back you a hundred percent, even if you sound like a haunted house in a Scooby-Doo episode, I am fine with that. You are not here to provide the listening public a sonic aloe vera rubdown. You're here to impart passion or wisdom or knowledge or humor or whatever. There are plenty of ASMR videos to blanket the fragile in soft cottony whispers. So... Let your fry flag fly, wear a button that says, I speak with creak, and fight the sonically intolerant. And that's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi speaks with vocal brazing. Mike Vola, who edited today's show, employs a vocal pan searing. Andy Bowers, GIST's executive producer, pioneered the vocal saute. The GIST, never vocal fizzle all vocal sizzle. Thanks for listening.